presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Rayondin Kennedy and Lango Dean, sit down with prospective executive officer of USS Bainbridge and 2022 Baya STEM Conference Career Achievement in Government awardee, Commander Desmond Walker, for a conversation on the path of a Black Naval Officer. Up first is Career Communication Group's Managing Editor, Rayondin Kennedy. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Commander Desmond Walker. Commander Walker has served on USS Baton, where he received the Humanitarian Service Medal after support of Hurricane Katrina Humanitarian Assistance and Disaster Relief. Later, the commander served on USS Carl Vinson, where he excelled at anticipating problem areas in management of 26 accessible chemical and radiological programs. Ashore, Commander Walker served as a nuclear programs manager, section head for amphibious warfare and service readiness, and most recently, the executive assistant to Commander Second Fleet slash Commander Joint Forces Command Norfolk. Commander Walker has received numerous recognition awards, such as the NNOA Captain Sally Kafer Mentoring Award in 2017 and NNOA Doris Miller Award in 2018 for his efforts in improving the connection between accession, retention, and mentorship of naval officers. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Rayondin Kennedy and Lango Dean. All right. Thank you, Brandon. And thank you all for joining us for another episode of High Tech Sunday. Today is episode 48. You know, we've been knocking these episodes out. We've been having a lot of great people. And today we are joined by Commander Desmond Walker, uh, who is no exception to, to our guests. And so we have a great conversation planned for you. We have uh, Lingo Dean joining us as a co-host. But uh, let's welcome our guest, Desmond Walker. Desmond, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ray. Glad to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So Brandon, you know, in the intro, uh, ran down a lot of, of, of awards and achievements. Uh, and I know that wasn't even half of the bio and resume that you have. Uh, so we're blessed to have you. We're uh, excited for this conversation that we have coming up. And so to kick things off, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a superhero buff. And so I want to know about your origin story, because to our audience, you are our superhero. And so I want to know, you know, a little bit about you, how you got to where you are. Um, and let's start with talking about your professional background. You know, why did you choose to pursue the engineering path that you did? Awesome. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks again for having me here today. Um, I do want to start off by saying first that you know, I'm, a, I'm an active duty naval officer. And so any of the comments that I share today are of my own opinion and in no way reflect the opinion or thoughts of the United States Navy or Department of Defense of any of its components. So I want to get that out there first. Yes, sir. And for my uh, professional background and personal background, um, at at my core, I'm just an old country boy from Mississippi. I enlisted in the Navy back in 1996, and it was really just to go see the world. my high school, the Mississippi School of Mathematics and Science, prepped me for college. Um, and so academically, I knew college um, would, would not be an issue for me, but I wanted to have some life experiences. 
And so I enlisted as an electronics technician. During my time while serving on the Dwight D. Eisenhower nuclear power aircraft carrier, my mentors recommended that I try to become a naval officer. So I applied to the Seaman to Admiral 21 program. Uh, it was a, it's basically an enlisted officer commissioning path where the Navy, uh, if you, if accepted, you are given 36 months um, to complete a, a bachelor's degree and complete all the commissioning requirements via the ROTC. So I was like, I was like a professional student um, while in the ROTC, just like any other ROTC student straight out of high school. And that's where I uh, service selected for nuclear surface warfare officer. And that that set me on the path. And now as a nuclear trained service warfare officer, I have a dual career path where uh, I am on path to be the commanding officer of a ship one day, which is coming up here soon. And also on the nuclear path to be the reactor officer on the same kind of nuclear powered aircraft carriers that I started in my career. And so working both those paths gives me great opportunities to always expand my, my horizons, to learn different leadership styles, always kind of going back and forth between both um, areas. Because as a surface warfare officer, you know, it's all about tactical war fighting, you know, the um, launching missiles, anti-submarine warfare, in integrated air missile defense, um, things like that. Whereas the nuclear path is all about safe operation and maintenance of the nuclear reactors and the propulsion plants uh, for the aircraft carriers. So both of those paths um, create different dynamics um, towards a, a very generalist uh, leadership style. Which I find, which I have found to be very helpful as I matured in the Navy. I think that's that's really awesome. So you have, are are, are you able to do both? Because you said you might be able to to lead a aircraft carrier or take the uh, the nuclear path. Uh, are you able to do both? Yes, and so the the the, the notional career path for a nuclear SWO, that SWO is short for surface warfare officer, a nuclear SWO. You serve on a conventional platform, then you'll switch to a conventional platform. And each iteration is anywhere from 24 to 30 months, depending on uh, where you are in your career. And every time you go back to the next one, um, your responsibilities, level of accountability always increase. And so there's, there's a natural uh, maturation process um, as you move along uh, in your career. I, I want to dive into this uh, in a little bit, but I want to stay. I want to stay with the with the intro a little bit because I, I really do want to learn more about the nuclear processes and kind of demystify some of the some of the uh, uh, myths, if you will, about about the nuclear. Uh, uh, I don't want to say process uh, reactors, <laughs> but <laughs> well, uh, I guess the, the 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 better way to say it, we'll we'll go uh, Navy nuclear propulsion program. That that's the best way to categorize it because you throw nuclear out there folks start thinking nuclear weapons and bombs and missiles and that's that's not the level of nuclear power that we're dealing with it it's 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 what you would consider clean energy um yeah. just like a nuclear reactor that you would have uh, providing um electrical power for your local community 
Not gonna lie, uh, Cap, uh, Commander Walker. Uh, that's exactly where my mind went. It's <laughs> <And then laughs> <laughs> superhero when you coming out. Yeah, I was thinking zombies. I was thinking all kinds <laughs> of things. Chernobyl. <laughs> but but before we before we dig in before we get there and talk about that those, those pathways, um, let's talk about your passion. What is your passion? What gets Commander Walker up and and kind of gets him going to ready to start the day? What's what's your passion? Knowing that I have a chance to affect the lives of others in a positive way, that's what gets me going. Um, I grew up in a Navy where uh, I didn't see Naval officers that looked like me. Everybody, they were enlisted if they didn't look like me. And so when I made the decision to apply for, to become an officer, the first one of the things that came to me was, hey, I get a chance to do something different because no one does this, right? And then uh, after commissioning and then getting exposed to that new opportunity, realized that I wasn't the only one, but the numbers were still small enough um, to where you, it's, it's impactful when you come across one. And so I've been dedicated to then helping others connect to that same opportunity in a way that hopefully increases those numbers. Because again, it, it's, opportunities you don't if you don't know about the opportunity you can't go after it so there's a level of education from a community perspective that i've just embraced because i care about the end goal which is to improve diversity in our military thank you for that one of the cool things about high tech sunday uh, that we that we've talked about is that we get to talk about uh, your spirituality a little bit and, and how that spirituality influences the passions. Cause a lot of the times we, we, we speak to, uh, uh, folks like yourself, we, we find that their spirituality plays a major role in them going in and executing their day to day, uh, and, and really influencing the passions. And so my question to you is, you know, what's your spirituality background? How's your spirituality kind of fueled your mission, your passion? That That's a great question. Um, I was raised Pentecostal, um, and I still believe that to this day um, in those tenets. And I guess the foundation for me is you have to you have to have a certain level of faith and belief in the higher power to help you achieve certain things because you can't you can only do so much. And that point when you think you can't go any further then something good happens or, or something positive happens in your life. And you're like, I don't know how that happened, but I'm grateful and I'm thankful. And for, so for me specifically, uh, Psalm 37 and four is one of my foundational scriptures. Um, Delight thyself in the Lord. He will give thee desires of thine heart. And so going back to my, my passion for helping others, um, my passion is helping others like almost like ministry and if my efforts are just to help other people then i believe that god is going to then give me exactly what i deserve based on doing those things so i delight myself in him i live a life that i think um follows him and then good things will happen basically yes sir you do works for god everything else kind of Works itself out and it kind of and then, and, and then and then too it 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 takes it takes the focus off of anything material, um and and it keeps things kind of 
in the intangible area and your your goals shift from money and cars and homes and stuff like that and it shifts more to happiness peace joy you know those types of things and i think if, if you can be joyful in whatever you're doing then that that's the ultimate win for me because you're not you're not stressing about stuff things like that so absolutely amen to that so commander walker i will be remiss if i don't bring up that you are a 2022 Bayer career achievement award winner congratulations i'm gonna give you a round of applause for that <laughs> i appreciate it yeah. i'm excited about it yeah i'm excited to see you see you accept that award and so my question to you as we start getting into the, the the next phase of the show is is tell us about the moment when you found out you was a winner and tell us what that award means to you <laughs> so it's so cool um i got a i received a, phone, a voicemail from uh our uh swole nuclear flag advocate. So it's basically an admiral, the most senior admiral that's a nuke, swole nuke. Um, he gave me, left me a voicemail saying, congratulations, <laughs> you basically won this award. And I was freaking out. <laughs> I didn't know what to tell <laughs> I actually ran to my wife. I said, hey, sweetie, I won this award. <laughs> and I just stood there. And you know, she was all cheering and stuff. The kids was cheering and everything. And I'm like, did I just win an award? So <laughs> I was in, it, it, right after I was in shock. I was in shock. Yeah, it was. It was. Just, it was. It was amazing. If uh, if it, it, it was a very good culminating event that was an opportunity to just appreciate um, the things I've accomplished um, so far in my life. Yep. And so now that now we get into the the, the conversation, the, the the path of a black naval officer, and I know you touched on it a little bit, but I want to dive in a little bit deeper into the the roles that that you're doing and really talk about this this clean energy, this nuclear <laughs> uh, um, uh, role that you have and kind of knock down some of these myths. So what exactly are you doing and how is this this clean energy kind of the way to go or the way of the future? Okay, so the Navy's nuclear program is all about you know reducing the use of fossil fuels and so um admiral uh jaime g rickover what we call him the father of nuclear navy and he was the one that that got this party started <laughs> um and so with uh navy nuclear power it allows us to basically go technical real quick it is high tech sunday um the instead of using a, a combustion engine to be your heat source uh we use a nuclear reactor that is basically pre-made and you use that to superheat the water that surrounds it and then use a heat transfer process to uh make steam and that superheated steam then powers all of our turbines that creates all the energy we need and so uh, one of the phrases that we used to say, or we probably still say it on the ship, on one of the ships, answer the bell, power the bus, and steam the roof. What that means is we have two reactors for two propulsion plants. An aircraft carrier has four shafts, um, two shafts per plant. And so one reactor is creating enough steam for 200,000 horsepower of propulsion for our high pressure turbine through a reduction process to turn the shaft. So that's answering the bell, the propulsion bell, then powering the electrical bus. So we have generators 
uh, that are converting that steam into electrical power to power all the stuff on the ship. And then also for uh, my primary mission, which is launching and recovering aircraft carriers, the uh, launching and recovering aircraft, not aircraft carriers, because the, the, the aircraft are the ones that are dropping the bombs. Think, when you think strike mission, when you hear on the news, you know, USS whatever conducted, you know, 45 strikes in Afghanistan, um, mm -hmm. this is what they were doing. It's a nuclear react, a nuclear officer is creating steam to launch that strike package, which is a group of uh, tactical fighter aircraft to go basically drop bombs on who we have designated as an enemy to our national interests. Let me know if I'm oversimplifying this. So <laughs> basically, the, the nuclear energy has converted the, the carriers into uh, a steam engine, whereas, you know, when they had the steam locomotives, they were using coal to kind of create that steam. And so the, the nuclear uh, reactors are what's creating that heat and that steam that's powering these these large, large, large vessels. Exactly. And you only have to refuel it once. So an aircraft carrier is built to last 50 years. And at its halfway point, we go through what's called a refueling complex overhaul, where we take out the core of the spent fuel and put in a new core. We, you know, we change all. It takes about four years. When you first said refuel once, I thought you meant like you refuel once on a trip. You mean refuel once in his lifetime, in, in, yes. in, in uh, 50 years, so 25 years, mm -hmm. then that's when you replace it. Right. What's what's the danger level? You know, and again, I'm like I'm I'm, I'm speaking from kind of the, the the mystified audience. You know, uh, what what's the danger level, or or you know, uh, of working with with these vessels, or working, excuse me, with these uh, nuclear reactors? Well, you know, in, any any ship, whether it's a conventionally powered or nuclear powered, um, there's always some degree of risk. They're all industrial environments. That's why we. There are things we we have to follow the same OSHA requirements um, as as uh, private uh, industry does uh, from a federal government regulation perspective. So um, that part is is not an issue. Just we have to follow those guidelines, and then additional we we actually have more conservative guidelines under our director of uh, Navy nuclear propulsion, a four star admiral um, in D.C., where we through experience and then let's say experience i guess i'll say through experimentation the testing and testing and testing and testing to prove certain factors are true about the way the the materials that we use how they break down when they're exposed to uh other isotopes we know we we know what those are and then we put mitigations in place to protect everyone. So that's why no one, no one on the ship um, has to worry about radiation poisoning or, or contamination because we take all those precautions to operate the reactors safely. And then there's shielding and all of the kind of state that goes into building an aircraft carrier. Um, I mean, this is one joke we have where you know some people will talk about the aircraft carrier. You know, is about launching all these aircrafts to go do this stuff but the nuke would tell you that no we have all that aircraft because the most important asset is the two reactor cores on the carrier so 
So, so no zombie outbreaks while, while no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so, Commander Walker, when when you joined, is this the path? Did you know that you wanted to work uh, uh, in the nuclear area, uh, in the nuclear oh, field I, when, when I, you joined? I wanted no parts of it. They actually they tried to recruit me to go enlisted nuclear. And I was like, no, I don't want any parts of that. Now, that, that was just due to my, I didn't know any better. Um, but all I knew about nuclear power, other than just kind of what I learned in school, was the Simpsons. Simpsons was big back then, yeah. late 90s. You know, we got Homer Simpson with that green glowing rod. Like, I don't want none of that stuff. Um, but once I, once I understood the Navy in a larger context, uh, actually, my student advisor at Norfolk State University, uh, he was a swole nuke as well. And he was the one that, like, he, he shared some things with me about Navy nuclear power that were like, hey, conventional is this, nuclear is this. If you're going to be doing these type of things, you might as well do nuclear because nuclear actually offers you more bonus money to do the same type of, do similar things in some regards. And I said, I uh, did my interview and, and got accepted and the you know, rest is history. In our conversation, in our pre-briefing meeting, you mentioned a program called the Nuclear Propulsion Officer Candidate Program. Can you tell us about that and the role that you play uh, with that program? Absolutely. So when I was um, assigned to Navy, Navy Recruiting Command, this would have been 2010 to 2012, uh, I was assigned as the support for three of the Navy's recruiting districts at the time. And... Uh, my role was to be the subject matter expert to the local recruiters who were trying to find talent to join the Navy. So the local recruiter was all about the process, application process. I was the person that would come and explain the features and benefits of joining the Navy in this particular career field. And one of the great things about NUPOC uh, is there's about there's four different options. Um, uh, there is an operational level, which is broken up into two subsets. I'm operational, surface, and submarines. And then uh, another option is instructor. So you, you uh, apply to the program and become one of the naval instructors in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, and then the other tier is nuclear, nuclear naval, naval reactors engineer. And that you are housed in D.C. And so and in that area, that's more of the theory and design um, and development of new procedures, new processes as we learn new things uh, from behavior perspective of maybe nuclear power. And, and the, 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 that opportunity presents itself. When you are when you are in your second semester of your sophomore year, that's the, that's the earliest you can apply. And so we we went hard at exposing incoming freshmen to the program so that they have time to think about that from a career perspective, because it is a highly sought after position. Um, because once you're once you're selected for the program, we actually pay you as an E6 in the military, a first class paid officer. But you don't have to do you don't do any of the ROTC training. There's a couple of other like medical requirements you have to do. But you're a professor student earning active duty time, active duty leave, and active duty pay while being a full time student. And that's why it's such a great program. 
that's that's awesome and I, and I do want to talk a little bit more about um, the program and, and ROTC but uh, we're going to cover that a little bit uh, later but I want to switch gears a little bit because I read the article that that you wrote called uh, the burden of a black naval officer and I want to talk about that a little bit and and start with you know what what called you uh, how about uh, tell us a little bit about the article and what called you to to write that article Okay, thank you. So there is an organization called United States Naval Institute. They put out a monthly publication called Proceedings uh, Magazine. And the editor, through a mutual associate, uh, was looking for someone to write about the African-American experience post-George Floyd's uh, murder. And when uh, the mutual friend reached out, um, I had already been writing some stuff anyway, kind of just tap tapping away at the keyboard because I was dealing with I was dealing with my own emotions about it because it, the 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 frustration of being an active duty member and wanting to protest and you know be angry, be frustrated, to cry, to just to to, to be in that moment and try to ration and rationally understand what that moment meant but still be a naval officer. And that was a huge challenge for me. So I used my words to do that initially. And then when my friend reached out, I was like, hey, I'm already working on something. I can try to put something together. And so um, I asked for a word count and a deadline. He provided that and went through about 10 iterations of it because I really wanted to tell, I wanted to, to have an impact on anyone that reads it, whether you are a four-star admiral or you, we're, you're going to commission um, from the Naval Academy, you know, next May. I wanted, I wanted you to, I wanted something in that article to resonate across generations because that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a generational issue in the moment. And I just wanted to add a voice to all those stories that people had shared with me about their frustrations in military service, in the Navy, um, pre-George Floyd. And that, that's what I attempted to do with that article. That's, that's yeah, that's powerful. And, and a lot of people was, was kind of feeling the same way, no matter what the, the career that they were going through. Uh, what is the burden of a Black Naval officer? If we wanted, you know, to dig in and go a step, step further, you know, what has been kind of your experience as a Black? I mean, that the topic is the path of a Black Naval officer. So I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the experiences of, uh, that you've had as a Black Naval officer. Yes. So um, I'll tie it back to the earlier conversation about um, kind of feeling like you're the only one. So the, bur the burden is understanding the environment you're in, the full context of what America means, and still with all of those potential roadblocks, with all of those potential hazards um, or tripwires, you still try to move forward. You still try to have a positive impact. That is a that is a heavy burden to carry um, when you have that type of awareness. Because it's e it's easy to just put your head down and work real hard and say that nothing's going to affect me because I'm going to work with my work ethic is going to get it done for me. But what do you do when your work ethic isn't enough? When someone puts a roadblock in front of you, whether emotionally or physically or mentally, there's a roadblock in front of you that you that you don't know is there until it's too late. And uh, 
that burden. That's why in, in the article I, I referenced it as a uh, you're dealing with 400 years of post-traumatic stress disorder that has not been dealt with because I wake up in every morning, I'm a black man before I put my uniform on. And I'm a black man when I take it off. And, you know, when I, when I drive on base, they see Commander Walker. But when I drive off base, they see a black man. And I wanted to, when I wrote the article, I wanted to capture that sense in the in the framework of what it's meant to serve in the navy in that in that way because um i've shared this before you know at the end of the day you pick any sector any industry any corner of 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 the workplace and that's just a sample size of what america is you can't get away from it and and i wanted to highlight in the article that 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 50 year space what I was trying to say there was you can't just say because I'm in the Navy, we don't have these problems. I have these problems, whether we have these problems as a community, as a culture, because we are in America and we have some unresolved issues. And that, that's a burden that we have to carry. And when, as a Black Naval officer, when you, when you are aware of what america means in its fuller context you now have you sometimes you're in the position where you have to educate someone that did that doesn't know um or is not aware of their bias or discriminatory practices or you know racism um whether overt or covertly um you 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 have to be the example um if you're if you're the one student if you're the one naval officer from hbcu on your ship um, then everyone looks to you for the, the answers about what it means to have an HBCU experience. And you have to feel those questions because um, you don't want to put the HBCU pers- uh, experience in a bad light. Um, you become the reference point for all things Black. When whether someone wants to be educated about it or doesn't want to be educated about it and needs to be from because their leadership position. And we take that burden um, with us uh, whether we accept it or not. So one of my, my last questions before I throw it over uh, to Lenko is, is staying in that in that same vein um, of, of topic of, of discussion, but it's more so uh, the message that you have to, to young people, um, uh, people who are considering, you know, enlisting or uh, considering joining. Um, one of my one of my role models, uh, public role models, uh, is Muhammad Ali, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, he refused, you know, the draft and and chose to 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 not fight. And you know, he has that famous line, you know, um, I'm not going. Oh, paraphrasing, uh, you know, I'm not going to go over there and fight them when you guys won't fight for me here. And that's something, you know, even when I thought about, you know, joining the military, it's something that, that crossed my mind. I know it crossed a lot of uh, minds of young black people. So how do you balance that uh, um, the responsibility and, and the honor to serve? Because there's been a lot of uh, amazing and, and special uh, uh, African-Americans, black people in the military. But how do you, how do you, how do you, you know, measure that responsibility and, and, you know, I'm trying to make sure I say this right. Uh, uh, how do you fight and serve, you know, uh, a country and a military that has been uh, traditionally reluctant to do the same for you? Yes. Um, at the end of the day, I'd rather be part of the solutions than part of the problem. Um, the, 
you know, we, we might not have asked to been here, asked to be here, but we're here now. And so the goal, the question is, what are you going to do with the opportunity? Um, <laughs> that's what, uh, <laughs> Joe Madison, Black Eagle, I get that from him. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know, right. um, I, I'm just, a, I'm, I'm an action person anyway. And so it just comes natural for me to want to affect change in a positive way. And again, to, it is not even about, you know, trying to take opportunities for someone else. It's about ensuring that folks that don't know about the opportunity, but have the same capability, have the same capacity, have the same initiative, are aware of this opportunity and makes this something to consider because that's, that's what gets lost in a lot of this stuff. I could, I could be um, upset about some of the things that, that's happening in America in the past that is happening now, but to me, that's looking backwards. I'd rather look forward and say, okay, is this how it works now? Okay, how do I help others understand this so that um, if this is what they want to do, then they can do it in a helpful, smart way that um, benefits them. Thank you. Commander Walker, this has been a great conversation. I'm coming back to you, but I'm going to switch over so we can talk about a, a few more of those benefits uh, of, of joining for young people. And so I'm going to toss it over to, to Lango Dean, who's going to talk about advice for young people. Awesome. Lango, how are you doing? Doing well, Ray. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Rayondin Kennedy, Lango Dean, and our special guest, Prospective Executive Officer of USS Bainbridge and 2022 Bay of STEM Conference Career Achievement and Government Awardee, Commander Desmond Walker. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the show, Commander Walker. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I'm going to say a little prayer for Joe Madison because he's 23 days into his hunger strike. Yes. So, yeah, I'm just going to offer a little prayer for him um, there. Um, you mentioned two things that really caught my attention and which lead directly into the question. Um, a little while ago, you talked about being a subject matter expert to local recruiters. And, and just a few minutes ago, you said, your focus is always, how do I help others understand this so that they can do better? And you have brought a whole village with you, some very smart sailors in your, in your background. So what do you, as a recruiting specialist, what do you tell young people? Uh, how do you help them understand this? Like what the, the village in your background understood and what you understand about service, about uh, uh, nationhood, about uh, careers? Um, how do you help them understand? Okay, so I'll answer in two parts. The, specifically with the nuclear piece, uh, I would always approach a, a potential um, naval officer who's usually a college student with this proposal. I would say, this, this nuclear, this Navy commitment is about five years. Look at this as a five-year investment into the next 50 years of your life. The, what you will get by joining the Navy is 
instant opportunities to lead and develop your own managerial and leadership style, which is two different things, leadership and management. You get to see the world. Um, you get to uh, in a relatively safe, safe environment financially um, be in a position of relative comfort to try new things without, you know, any real detriment to yourself because of the steady paycheck. Um, then with the earned benefits, uh, it's, it's just a, it's a win-win from an investment, from an investing in yourself perspective. Um, and then for life in general, I try to find the need that they're looking for, like what drives them. And if whatever that thing is, I try to relate that to something that that's an experience, that's a potential experience in the military. And I, I found that to be very helpful when you, because it's, it's, uh, I want to say, I want, whether it's, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of need, you know, food, water, shelter, clothing, that type of stuff. After that, then those other things kind of can bounce around. And depending on where they are in their lives, they're all going to have something different. And so you have to listen to them. You have to get to know them and understand what motivates them and then attach something that the Navy can provide to that so that they can then, once they can see themselves in it, it becomes easier. It's when you're, it's when you're trying to just tell them, oh, you'll get paid this much annually. Okay, yeah, and you know, Amazon will give me this annually. Okay, Amazon doesn't make me deploy, but you're gonna make me deploy, I'm gonna miss my family. And I'm married with you know, a two-year-old and I don't wanna leave them. So you got to find something different to speak to that person, and that that's I've, and I and I've just continued to refine that approach um, over the years. Because again, again, go it it goes back to my passion, which is helping people. So I I leverage my experience, I leverage my network of experience, and tie I just tap into that on a consistent basis. Um. All the things that you told us, the um, opportunity to lead, to manage others, getting to see the world uh, in a safe environment, um, the financial stability that a regular paycheck provides, um, that investment in yourself and attaching something the Navy provides to their life or their life stage. All of those things you reflect are reflected very well in you. And again, in, 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 in those people in your background. So why is it important for you to give back? I know you've touched on this. Why is it important for you to give back to your community, be a role model for young people with similar backgrounds as you? So I would say for me, I, I guess I saw with the Navy first. It's no secret that um, the Navy over the last several years um, has had a significant decrease in representation at, at the one-star, two-star, three-star, four-star level. And it's, e it's easy to say that, well, the Navy doesn't select officers, doesn't select minority officers. Okay, that, that's partially true. But if we're not in the inventory, if we're not playing in that game, then you can't, you can't select zero from, you can't select two from zero. And so um, 
I have found just from my personal experience and the people I've talked to over the years with shared experiences, the their their individual experiences have been representative of what they consider to be the Navy experience, and then they self-select out and they say, I don't want to do this anymore, so I'm gonna go home and take my talents to South Beach, as LeBron James said. And uh, <laughs> and when you do that as a lieutenant commander, as an 04, you can't make 05 if you're not in as an 04. You can't make 06 if you're not in as an 05. And so when I was a lieutenant in 03, based on my some experiences I had as a recruiter that were not positive, I said to myself, okay, maybe Lieutenant Walker can't change anything, but maybe Commander or Captain Walker could. And so that's been associated with my passion is uh, helping others that look like me and not that don't look like me uh, try to be better versions of themselves through education, through shared experience, through mentorship, through connecting, through networking early and often. Because that, that can, it goes back to what I said about meeting people's needs. You know, some pe people join the Navy um, they, they will love the deployment, but they will hate the shipyard period where you have to do all this maintenance and you're not going, you're not feel like you're not doing anything. And so leaders have the added responsibility of adapting their culture and their climate, um, within the command to facilitate that lull in what probably drives them. And when you harness that, that then turns into a more positive experience, which I then believe inclines the member to consider continued naval service. Um, I say all the time that people join the Navy for one reason, but they stay for a different one. And what happens between that joining and staying is probably one or two, maybe three commands. And if that member feels that that command, which is usually connected to the people that they're serving with, um, if they've had more bad experiences than positive ones, they reflect that and say, this was my Navy experience, not my this command experience. And so that, I guess the bumper sticker with the bumper sticker on that is people, uh, how, do I, how do I say it? Uh, people don't leave organizations people leave people and i believe that from a retention perspective if sailors and naval officers have had a bad personal experience interpersonal relationship interpersonal relationship perspective um they decide that the navy is not the career for them because of that personal experience Mm. Um, you regarded one of the reasons that you got your award is is the impact that you are having on people in the ROTC and uh, and at HBCUs. I think one of them in particular. So, what do you talk to people in the ROTC about, um, and how does the ROTC change lives? Yes. So when I was when I finally got a free moment, this is back in 2017, myself and two other alumni 
uh, from Norfolk State University, um, we decided that we were going to try to be more intrusive in supporting our local ROTC unit. And so we met with the lieutenants and uh, the captain and got, a, got an assessment of what the ROTC students needed. And they started providing that need. Then again, my, the same concept from earlier, providing the need. And what they needed was additional exposure outside of their ROTC unit. So that meant talking to a supply officer, talking to a nurse, talking to a pilot, talking to a medical expert, talking to a dentist, talking to an information warfare specialist, talking to a cryptologic warfare specialist, um, getting them uh, uh, visits to the Pentagon, getting them visits to Congress, having flag officers come and talk to them um, about life in the military, having uh, lieutenants who had just graduated maybe six, seven years ago, come back and share their, their lived experience with them, give them, here's what, when you're sitting in class talking about ethics, here's some ethical dilemmas I actually had to supplement what they're learning from a theoretical perspective in the classroom. And so, um, and we, and it was beautiful because we were able to start doing that on a monthly basis where we, we, we created opportunities for them to get additional exposure beyond their requirements just to graduate. That's wonderful. I think you're going to have to come back and talk about all the STEM jobs in the military because I, I think about 150 of them. You, you mentioned a couple of them, supply officer, nurse, and, and lots more. So it'd be nice for you to I would love to. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, Commander Walker. At this point, I'm going to throw it back to Ray. Thank you again. Commander Walker, this has been great. I've, I've learned a lot. Um, and as we bring this to a close, I do have a couple more questions before I, I give you the final word to kind of leave the audience with. But as we sit here and we've had this discussion, the path of, uh, of a Black Naval officer, I want to ask you uh, what in your military career has been your favorite memory? Yeah, this is, oh man, this is tough. Um, I, ha I have two short ones. My first one is um, when I was the operations officer on USS Kearney. The way that we were able to build a team uh, for our deployment that I did was, it was truly inspirational. Um, so much so that my wife, who is a Navy veteran herself, um, calls that her favorite tour. It was just the, the way that um, we came together as a team to meet all of our missions um, and be successful. It was just great. And it, this was even in the midst of my medical evacuation off the ship for a neck issue. My assistant uh, operations officer, Joshua Spencer, um, he was able to could keep the machine running uh, while I was gone in the middle of deployment, which, which was that's exactly how you would want it. If you go down as the, as the top person for your department, then your team can keep operating without you. And to me, that was, that was just a, a wonderful experience. Um, my second one is um, when I was on the USS Carl Vinson. Um, this one was a, this tour was a very arduous tour for me. I actually considered retirement. Uh, from this tour, from some of the experiences I had uh, mentally and emotionally. But um, I had an awesome chief petty officer 
um, William Rivera, he, he and I were aligned from the first day I checked on board and we had a plan to turn things around for our division. And when I reached my lowest moment, my junior sailors, which are E6 and below, bought into what we were trying to do. And they changed the, they changed the culture because they bought in to what we were trying to do. And so, again, it was another variation of the team buying in in a way that if you take me out of the equation, they had the team confidence, the team boldness to continue doing mission, um, you know, no matter what. So that that's amazing. And uh, my background is, is I played football in college and I had a coach who uh, would always say that expectation is for the position. And, you know, he was actually uh, Tom Brady's coach when he was at Michigan. Um, but what he meant by that, and, and in reference to both the examples you gave, you know, if Tom Brady go down, whoever steps mm-hmm. in, you know, the expectation is the same. You know, the expectation is not for Tom Brady. The expectation is for whoever's running that position. And so if you're expecting excellence, then excellence is needed no matter who's running that. And so I did want to throw that out because it just it tied in to, to, to what you were saying. The expectation is for the position. So whoever next man up, you got to hold the line. Exactly. Exactly. And so um, before I before I give you last word, you know, uh, how can our listeners reach out to you or, or contact you if they have any questions or want to follow up? Uh, um, do you have any you know, social media, LinkedIn or anything that you could share? Absolutely. I am on Facebook under Desmond Walker. I got a picture of myself in uniform on it because um, I, I don't do a lot of I don't get into the comments too much. I just share positive energy. On, on my social media. And then uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, again, Desmond Walker. Um, I am on Instagram uh, at Forged by Fission, um, which is a play on the Navy's um, current slogan, which is Forged by the Sea, because I'm a nuke. So Forged by Fission, right. nuclear fission. <laughs> Corny, I know. As, <laughs> as we've learned today. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then I'm also on Twitter at uh, at DW78, D-E-E-D-U-B-Y-A-78. Awesome. And so as we get ready to close this out, uh, Commander Walker, uh, what words of inspiration or encouragement do you want to leave our, our listeners with? Yes, um, I will leave you with this. Um, I had a phrase I came up with um, when I was doing some self-reflection about leadership after, um, as I was preparing to become an executive officer. And the phrase I use is qualified for the blessing. And what I mean by that is we can, setting a goal is easy. Set, setting an end goal is easy. I want to do this, that's easy. The hard part is figuring out what it takes to get there. And even if that opportunity has presented itself yet, you can do things to get yourself ready for when that moment presents itself. Because when the moment presents itself, it can be unannounced. And if you haven't done the work, then you're not qualified for it when it presents itself. And, and I say that because from an ownership perspective, sometimes opportunities present themselves and because we miss it, we blame the system for not giving us the blessing that we think we deserve. 
but we're not really qualified for it yet because we didn't do the work. So I'm a big personal accountability guy and I'm just about, okay, what else can I do self-improvement to be where I want to be? And that's why, that's how I mentor um, the folks that, that I support. It's okay. Yep. Got it. They screwed you over that last time. Okay. So what's next? You know, turn the page, you know, move to the next problem, you know, move to the next thing, whatever it is. You, you don't, don't, don't waste time dwelling on what happened before. Let's that you can't do anything about that. That's happened. So qualify for the blessing. That's powerful. Commander Walker, I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of High Tech Sunday. And I want to thank all the listeners for joining us for this great conversation. Please be sure to join us next time on High Tech Sunday. Brandon, back to you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communication Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.